Hey guys, yeah, turn to Psalm 126, Psalm 126, a little six verse psalm, and my title uh, is Locating God in 2019. Uh, two ways in which God tends to work in renewal, you know, as we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in Nashville and Tennessee and Alabama and Arkansas as it is in heaven. What does that look like? And, and this psalm has helped me uh, locate the God of, of renewal. And what we're going to see is two very different um, ways God uh, stirs renewal in uh, us individually and then corporately uh, through Scripture and history, two very different ways. Um, and so we're going to get a glimpse of just two distinct pictures of our great renewing God, uh, but both of them, as you would imagine, once he begins that work, is uh, uber successful at it. He's pretty impressive. Uh, so while the means are very different, his ends are very sure. And um, I think... Um, the benefits to me as I've meditated on this psalm for about six months now pretty intensely um, are threefold. This allows me to incorporate Jeremy's title. Uh, but it is true, um, and they all start with E, my benefits for you. Is that I think you'll enjoy ministry more because we be able to locate God, that, that he's the real source, and it helps us to be the channel um, so we don't carry uh, as much weight as we tend to do, and play God way too much. I know, speaking for myself, so enjoyment. But I think also it builds, uh, can build a second benefit of expectancy in you uh, of how great God is and what he might be doing. Maybe he will open your eyes to see uh, some stuff he's already wanting to do, inviting you into, already doing. And then third, just for expansion, enlargement. I mean, enjoyment of ministry, really expectancy in ministry, and then kingdom expansion as we try to focus on God and see what he's up to and, and partner with him more closely. So that's what we're going to look at. But I would just invite you right now just to close your eyes, bow your heads, because I just, it's kind of like get with pastors. I just I want you to hear uh, even more, again, what Jeremy was praying. Um, hear the word of the Lord right now, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God sees you, and God accepts you, God accepts you despite your sin. He sees and accepts you because of Jesus' justifying work on the cross. He sees you and delights in you. He accepts you into his joy, into his delight, into his presence. And he wants to remind you of what you've heard before, but he wants you to experience it. That there's therefore now no condemnation for anything you've ever done in the past. We have all have a past. We've all made tons of mistakes. We've all done weeks Years, decades maybe of fleshly or loveless pastoral ministry. But there's therefore now no condemnation for anything in our past. And please also hear, Holy Spirit, help us come, Holy Spirit, to experience that right in this moment, in this present moment, there's zero condemnation in your heart for these men. As the old gospel primer says, even when we sin, there's no admixture of wrath whatsoever because you poured it all out on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's nothing left but pure delight. And the good news keeps going. Help these men experience, Holy Spirit, that 
from this second in time through the rest of eternity, there will be no future condemnation for anything they do or even deserve. Thank you for the gospel and our standing in grace. We're in a condemnation-free zone as your children. Father, help these men know you're near. Know that when we come to you, that you're gentle. We come to you, we don't get a lecture, but we get your comfort. So if these men just picture themselves crawled up in your lap and being held tight, Colossians 1 says you're holding the universe together and you're holding them and their story and your churches and your future and you can do that. You're holding our past, present, and our future together for your glory. Amen. Amen. Love the Psalms for lots of, lots of reasons. I'm in Nashville. I had to quote Ray once, seeing, you know, in the prayer, condemnation-free zone. So anyway, um, just the Spirit reminded me where I am, you know. Um, the Psalms uh, give us a voice of faith when we're faithless. We can go read and pray and meditate on the Psalms and they give us a language when our love is lacking. They give us a faith for, for faithless seasons or discouraging seasons. They, they, they give us a language of faith and hope for those areas of our life that tend to be the most discouraging. And so that's what I want and have prayed that God would do today that would give you faith to see these two pictures of God in Psalm 126, a, a faith of God's big, great capabilities uh, to do whatever he wants to do with us and through us uh, and to know his heart a little bit more. I can tell you that my story, uh, I didn't get saved, I was 29, so I'm now 58. I lived half my life as a Christian, ended up planting about 2001, two, and had quite a journey and got to see God do some really cool things. I've made more mistakes than the time Jeremy's law to me to share those, but, um, but I will say right now that uh, by God's grace, I've never been more hungry just to know him personally and hungry to see him work. But I will tell you that my track record by and large is that I didn't have a lot more hunger for a lot of more of my own kingdom building than his kingdom building. I know that my story has way too much of faithlessness that God would ever send revival in our lifetime or send renewal or this, the things that I read in Scripture would never happen. And they haven't happened the way I'm praying. They'll happen yet, but I don't have anything better to do than to beg God to do it. Um, and so I had a lot of faithlessness in the ability to God to really rend the heavens and, and, and come down and... Um, really a lot of faithfulness, faithlessness that, that Acts 2-3 could ever happen again that, you know, all of a sudden, it says, as they were praying, that God came down. All of a sudden, you know, the sound and the Holy Spirit comes down. Or uh, I've had a lot of faithfulness that our city that I live in, Jonesboro, Arkansas, could experience what Samaria experienced in the gospel, that there was much joy in that whole city. And I've had a lot of faithful faithlessness that God could really create the kind of spiritual fervor and community and missional just propulsion and excitement that we read about in the book of Acts and I've had a lot of faithlessness um, around all that and more and a lot of faithlessness that even what he did in our own country and the great awakening that there was this spiritual fervor and excitement that God brought to the shores of America that I'd ever get to taste and see that. Lord, that somehow I just, I've spent most of my life um, 
not being able to locate the God who's able, free and able to do that in an instant. And as I've traveled around uh, to visit a lot of churches in the South, which is my privilege to do, um, I found that uh, I'm not alone. Um, that there's this view of God maybe is a little bit missing. Uh, this talk of revival, we picture a lot of goofy things at times or a tent beside the highway, um, but it's a biblical word. Um, you know, most famous verse a lot of people say on revival, Psalm 85, 6. You know, wouldn't, won't you revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Won't you revive us again? Revive us, make us alive, make your church alive. Be able to see, bring awakening. And so I've seen that same not, you know what I'm saying, I'm saying faithless, not total lack of faith, but a faithlessness to locate the God who's perched up in the heavens, able to do what he did in Scripture and through revival all through history. So I guess if you're here today, I'm glad you're here. What, what about you? You know? Do you know the God of revival? Do you know the God of the instantaneous, able, free and able to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, the God who can do more in five seconds than you're able to do in your own strength in your entire lifetime of ministry? Do you know that God? Have we lost sight of that God? Or have you lost sight of the God, even personal renewal? Um, and 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, so We don't, do not lose heart even though wasting away outwardly, yet being renewed. Day by day. Is that your, that's the intended Christian experience for every Christian that you experience morning, daily, renewal, day by day. Just a spiritual vitality. And then what about your people? Do they know to beg God, to beg God to send revival? And the the Lord taught us to pray, yeah. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Breakthrough. Not just at the second coming, but signposts, appetizers of his kingdom breaking in. Walt Kaiser says this of revival. If the Spirit of God had not periodically sent revival in the past, this world would be even worse than it is. So we're, we, we are where we are because God sent past revivals. But it's alarming to see how the lessons learned by one generation are totally forgotten in another. But thanks be to God, he will not let his fallen children roam about in spiritual fatigue forever. Based on this marvelous record of intervention, there's always the hope and expectation that God will step into the present order of things. No matter how bleak and adverse the circumstances seem to be. Thus, all believers should have a deep expectation and a firm belief in the possibility of revival for their day. Do your people, because you've taught them, have a deep expectation and firm belief, at least in the possibility of revival for their day, for this day. We can't force God. One thing we know about revival, it's, to, it's his total sovereign privilege, you know, to do it whenever he wants to do it. And he may not do it today, but he can do it today. And, man, if we don't want him to do it today, what are we doing with our lives in ministry, right? Because revival is supernatural, sudden, spontaneous. Um, it's an act of grace. We're not going to force God's hand, all that kind of stuff. But we feel hunger for this because we need it. Okay, Psalm 126. Psalm 126 has helped me locate God in two ways that he brings renewal. It gives me faith. It's bolstered my faith. I got a long way to go, but I'm not where I used to be. Psalm 126, this is one of the 15 song of ascents. These people are being intentional about going to seek the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And it says, and these first three verses is a look to the past. It's about to an historical event in, in the people of God's past, in Israel's past, where God did something amazing. But it doesn't give us the occasion of exactly which historical event it's talking about. 
so it's either some return from, uh, you know, captivity or something huge that God did that they're remembering him for, that they start these first three verses. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And yes, we're in Nashville. There's a little music around here. And yes, I think it was Charlie Hall did this song on maybe the first Passion CD, right? He didn't do the whole song, which I wish he would have. But so if you hear Charlie Hall in your head, that's a good thing. That verse one, that word fortune is a, a word. It's not talking about money. It's not prosperity gospel in the financial sense. But the fortune they're talking about in these first three verses, when they experience God reviving work, rescuing work, renewing work, awakening work, all, all we know is the aftermath of his work, once that work was done, they, the people experienced it like, man, our dreams came true. We were filled with joy and laughter. That's the fortune. That's the depth of human experience. It's to encounter the presence of God. We go, man, my dreams came true. My prayers came true. I'm dreaming. I'm laughing. And I'm filled with joy. But that term is specific. It's a reference to the complete reversal of fortune wrought only by the power of God. So when God, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, it says in our past, in our national history, God at a point in time in history gave a complete reversal of the fortune that is wrought by the power of God. That's the same word used at the end of Job when his fortunes are restored, a radical, um, you know, restoration and reversal of fortune. And there's a principle all through the Psalms and Scriptures that God's past faithfulness fuels fresh faith, right? And so they did it again, and you see verse 4 is now fresh faith, and they say, in essence, God, do it again, right? So use that word fortunes again, verse 4, restore our fortunes. So that was past. You did it once, do it again. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. This is their cry for God to do his all of a sudden work. This is like this all of a sudden of the streams in the Negev. The Negev is one of the driest places on planet Earth. And it rained maybe one time a year. But when it rained, it rained. And that mountainous, deserty, cavernous place immediately began filled with water and water collected and ran down the mountains and these streams and there was like almost instantaneous flowering and fruitfulness in the desert it was like a miracle like an overnight miracle physical miracle so these people maybe even walking near the Negev or they're journeying to the psalm of it through the psalm of ascents and they're like just dry desert maybe they're picturing that it's like God restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev again so one place to locate God is that God is free and able, perched on the throne of heaven to give a complete reversal of fortune to you individually, your family, your city, your neighborhood, the government, our culture. He can do anything he wants, and he's going to do it at the return of Christ, but he can do it in other ways and other measures. I mean... Right now, we have to know that about God. He can do, he's so awesome and perfect and impressive and powerless. He's undefeated. He's undefeatable. He has, there's, I mean, he has no challenge. And he can do it. And I want him to. Called the crazy south the crazy church planters and pastors in the south you know some people are burdened for all sorts you know i won't get into all that but i really do want to see that um i mean you can just begin to think if we don't have 
and I use this word locate God a lot because it's helpful. We had, uh, we had a retreat in January in horrible, awful San Diego. And um, Zach Eswine was preaching, and he said one of, the, one of the main tasks of leaders is to help their people locate God. Locate him in the scripture, locate him in culture, locate him in our heart. I mean, and it's such a weird phrase, it stuck with me, and so I've stolen it. Uh, now I'll give him due credit. But it is your job to help your people, kids, wives, disciples, locate God, get a clear view of God. As Tozer and others have said, it's the most important thing about you is your view of God. I want you to have the view of God that these people, he can restore our fortunes like that. Like streams in the Negev. Like a miracle, physical miracle. He can do it. He's done it over and over and over again. I just already quoted Acts 2-3. All of a sudden there came from heaven a noise. I mean, all of a sudden. So we had to locate the all of a suddenness. I mean, like every small group, every Sunday morning, every prayer meeting. Just know that he can build faith and expectancy that he is able. And we should ask him in faith as we locate God. Acts 10 44, the spirit fell. Isaiah 64, 1, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Rip them and come down to earth. He loves the earth. He's going to restore the earth. He wants to show off his glory. He wants to be made famous in our churches, in our homes, and in our cities. Uh, the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians says the word came, the gospel came in word, but not word only. It came in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Revelation 18 he defeats his enemies three times in Revelation 18. It says, in a single hour, Babylon will fall. I mean, God has calendars, and God has plans, and he has authority and title deed to planet Earth, and he's in control of his people and lost people, and the whole angelic and demonic realms, and Satan, I mean, he's like in charge of it all, and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's free, and he's able. And, and notice, when he does that, what we would call just the crazy revival works that I've just quoted to you through Scripture, the aftermath is always rejoicing, right? It's... Uh, it's not like, God, I wish you wouldn't have showed up with all your power and glory like that. No, it's like, holy cow. I mean, you know, we were designed as humans. We're, we're overbuilt to live in a fallen world, you know. We still haven't found what we're looking for. And that's because we're built to be in the presence of God. Face to face. His presence is never a regret. And he's done it in America in the past. It was said by historians. I'm old, but I wasn't there in 1739 to 1742. That the spirit was poured out through Edwards, Wesley, Whitfield, others. Spiritual fervor spread like wildfire through our country. Do, do you need spiritual fervor to spread like wildfire through your church? Again, revival starts with not the laws, but the church, Right? Revival, make alive again. Historians said it seemed like every local ministry in every village were developing tide pools of spiritual interest, reinforced and augmented by the news of spiritual activity elsewhere. In short, Jesus became famous in America. And it wasn't regret. I mean, there's always counterfeits and all that. People get worried, but yeah. We, we have to be revival ready and understand how it can go sideways through our pride and manipulation control. And one reason we need to read and study books like Loveless, Dynamics. He talks about that. Anyway, but here's what he's, Jonathan Edwards said. Here's the five marks of genuineness. And see if you want these as five marks in your church. An exalted Jesus. That revival exalts Jesus, attacks the kingdom of darkness, honors the scriptures, Promote sound doctrine and involved an outpouring of love toward God and man. That'd be enough for me. Uh, 
doctrine, sound doctrine. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, I got it. Love was quoting Edwards. I mean, religious affections and all that. What did you say? Your answer? Didn't you answer, Mike? <laughs> they were in my notes and quotes. I think I got it out of Loveless quoting Edwards. But yeah, those were Edwards' five marks of genuineness of, the, of marks of revival through the Great Awakening. Or any revival. Sure. We can talk about it later. I can look it up in there. I know where it is. Huh? No, I know. No. Jeremy will give me 20 minutes. This is, you got to save. Ask me that in Q&A, and I'll do, I know right where it is in the book. I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. What am I saying? Of course, we're 20 minutes over. But. Exalted Jesus. That's, the, that's yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit, stop the clock. Now, it exalted Jesus, attacked the kingdom of darkness, honored the scriptures, promoted sound doctrine, and involved an outpouring of love toward God and man. And let's not be naive. Revival is happening on planet Earth this very second. It's happening in the east. Not the West. Africa, India, Brazil, Nigeria, Indonesia. But God is awesome. And He's sad when Jesus' name is not honored, when His kingdom is obscured, and when His people haven't located the awesomeness, revival ability of King Jesus. So how hungry are you? Who wants to see God do it again in the South? Do it, Lord. So I'll invite you to join me and now about 10 other cities around the south I've gotten to share this little psalm with in the last four months. Um, I set Psalm 85.6, my phone, Dave's phone now, um, goes off at 8.56 every night and we pray for revival. Won't, it's a question for God, won't you revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Won't you revive, make us alive, start with me. And we can ask questions about this later but corporate renewal always begins with individual personal renewal and while corporate revival isn't promised today I'm a firm believer that personal revival is a gospel promise given to you 2 Corinthians 4 16 being renewed day by day. You can experience personal revival every day, and I believe that's God's intended benefit for you and all your people as you lead yourself to the throne of grace. You can ask questions about that. So let's move on. The second place we locate God, because, okay, so the application for that one is pray big prayers. And if you want to join me and Dave, set your alarm at 856 and pray for revival. Be hungry for revival. So what do we do in the meantime? We pray. Is that all God does? God can bring revival, but is when he's not perched on the throne of heaven, rending the heavens and coming down in those kind of all of a sudden ways, is he doing anything else? Or do we just pray and wait? No. We pray. And we partner with God planting the gospel look at verses five and six this is the second way um locate god and it's really interesting how it came to this i've been reading a lot of loveless but i was then it got me off on all these tangents and then i read uh keller's stuff on renewal then i was reading jd greer's stuff on renewal and they both cited Derek kidner
quoting Psalm 126 as two ways God brings renewal. So I paid attention, and that's when I just began to dig in and study and read a bunch of commentaries on Psalm 126. And so uh, the great Hebrew commentator Kidner says, it's his words, Psalm 126, the two ways that God typically works in renewal. Two ways God which brings his kingdom to bear. The second one is in verses 5 and 6. Again, these are very successful kingdom renewal, what we're going to see, but very different. Okay, you got the first one, right? God can just go bam whenever he wants. Rains in the Negev. Rain the heavens and come down. It's the all of a suddenness of God. The second one is going to be slow, patient kingdom work of God. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, burying the seed for sowing, shall surely come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What you see repeated in here three times are, is, are promises of the same God to bring about faithful reaping. Right? Into verse 5. Reap with shouts of joy. Verse 6. Surely come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So this, God will successfully bring renewal through him being a faithful farmer. There's kingdom principles about the all suddenness of God, and there's tons of kingdom parables, right, that Jesus taught us with this farming motif of planting seeds. Both contain, God is the one who causes the increase both times, right? God's the one who, and seeds require water, right? The first picture of water in verse 4 is of just an immediate downpour, and the picture of water in verse 5 and 6 when the seeds of the gospel are planted through preaching and praying and gospel conversations and discipleship. Uh, every time a seed is planted, even if the only water for that seed are your tears, so be it, and it will work in due time if we do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season. Who gets to side the due season? People who have a cloudy, jacked up view of the world? Us or the perfect God? In due season. The first picture of God, all of a suddenness of God, pray. Second picture of God, he works through hard Labor, discipleship, day after day after day after month after year after decade. But again, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Your future is bright. Don't give up. So easy to be discouraged. So easy to be discouraged. If you're discouraged, repent. One of my famous definitions of repentance is you get a new God. Trying to, in the song, give you a new picture of God. God is with you. He sees your labors. He sees your tears. Whether it's just the tears of hard work or the tears of sorrowful persecution and rejection or, or failure or betrayal. Guys, your hard work or battles not against flesh and blood. It's, it's supernatural. It's spiritual. It's a war. Suffer as a good soldier, but oh, don't give up because in due season, God's promising you, even though you do not see it yet, you will reap with shouts of joy and you'll meet him and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we pray with God and the second way that Renewal comes as we partner with God. We have a much more active role in the second kingdom dynamic of renewal.
going to do some Q&A, so I'll stop. Let me pray for us, then we'll open it up. I've got some suggested questions, but... <laughs> so I can read you more quotes. Hang on, I'm honest. Walk in the light, fellows. Walk in the light. Yeah, nothing to hide here. God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Renew my brothers. Give them a hunger to help everyone under their care. The vision for ongoing personal renewal, day by day being renewed in the gospel. Give them skill and dedication and insight and love and encouragement to do that for their people. God, make Jesus Famous in our hearts, in our churches, in our city. May there be much joy in the city. Rend the heaven and come down. And God, encourage the discouraged. Help us through the fuzziness, like focusing a camera. May we see both of these pictures of your renewing work, your ability to do it slow like a farmer. They just have to plant and go to sleep in faith. But may we not forget that while we're asleep, you're at work. While we rest, you're at work. The next psalm is Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. And oh, you're so good while we're asleep. Lord, create a hunger in us. Help us to see what dry valleys in our soul or our home or our church or our city. Give these guys a vision of that dry valley and what it would look like to be a potential flourishing river. Send rivers of life to the hardest, driest places in our souls, in our homes, our churches, and our city. God, give these guys vision and insight for what hard soil you want to plow up next in their heart or in their home or in their city. Do it again, Lord, that your people may rejoice in you. Amen. Some suggested questions are, uh, what are two ditches to avoid on this highway to revival, road to revival? Or, a more important question, uh, where do we see Jesus in Psalm 126? So anyway, so, or anything else you want to ask, so. <laughs> Mike Harder, love you. What are they, David? Okay, well, we know a lot more than two ditches, you know, this way. <laughs> no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, we've talked about this. Um, uh, I like to say uh, triumphalism, for one. It's one ditch that, man, God can do all the big stuff. You pray and pray and pray, and, and then, then we neglect the second picture of God, basically, that, you know, you've seen ministries. It's all triumphalistic. If he's not doing big, visible things right now, you know, there's a lack of faith. It's your problem when it may be totally the will of God not to send revival and something triumphant that day that he wants you to do the hard work. So one's triumphalism, the other one's cynicism. We just go, God, he's not going to ever do that in my lifetime. So that's two that, those are, I, I'm, there are more. Yes, sir. What's that? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you, sir, for asking that question. I mean, at its base level, um, you know, even like Psalm 19 talks about, you know, being revived, being refreshed. I mean, the word, the biblical word just means to make alive again. So it's God's church being alive. Keller's uh, chapters um, are good, very good on renewal um, and, and both what it is and the marks of it, signs of it, and how to cultivate churches. It's in Center Church, but then he also did a smaller, he took the one section out, that, and it's called, anybody know, Gospel for, not Renewal, Gospel for Everyday Life, or something, I don't know, I can tell you. Anyway, and so at the big level, it's the people of God, that's why I like the word awakening too, being awakened again. Um, it's the gospel, the same gospel, John Hanna, who teaches a lot on revival, says it's really about a seven-fold increase in the normal activities of Christianity. So what if, what if conversion rates went up seven? What if the depth of, you know, like the Isaiah 6, if you're familiar with the cross chart, I mean, the gospel explodes and you both see God's holiness and his justice and his love compared to really our eyes being open, seeing how sinful we are and how the gospel of grace needs to get bigger and bigger. And so that's revival when we, I mean, what if you saw God as seven times more holier than you've ever seen him in your life and seven times more in love with you and yourself, seven times more undeserving, and then you saw the cross, you go, holy cow. That, I mean, that's revival. So that's, that's a seven-fold increase of awareness of basic gospel concepts. Um, and so um, a couple quotes. Um, I've been incredibly provoked uh, by Mark Sayers. If you've heard him and John Mark Comer on this Culture Moment podcast, especially the Portland sections, which has now actually come out in a book called The Reappearing Church. If you're hungry, it's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, his definition is this, that, well, since we talked about Keller, start with Keller. Keller says that renewal is when Holy Spirit makes doctrines come alive in our head and in our heart. It's when the doctrine of the love of God is felt in a way that overjoys us. It's when the doctrine of justification, again, moves from head to heart and produces great joy that we're right with God despite our sin. It's when the doctrine of grace awakens that we're objects of his undeserved favor, even though we're deserving only wrath. Um, and so it's that idea of coming alive. All renewal is really about seeing clearly what's real. But we have to both see God, ourselves, and grace. I mean, that, that's what inflames the soul. So, um, a little more technical. And there's different guys define them differently. And they, they use renewal, rev revival, and awakening sometimes differently. And there's not ultimate agreement. A great book on biblical renewals is Walt Kaiser has a whole book where he outlines 16 different uh, revivals in Scripture, Old and New Testament, which I quoted him. It's, it's a great work as well to help understand what biblical revivals, you know, you think of, you know, Josiah, you think of Acts, the different things. Mark Sayers' definition of renewal is it's because he distinguishes renewal and revival this way. He says renewal is the refreshment, release, and advancement that individuals, groups, churches, and cultures experience when they're realigned with God's presence. And so, you know, when Psalm 16, right? When we're in the presence of God, you know what the promise is? What the aftermath of being in the presence of God is? Pleasures forevermore, joys unending. And then he says revival is what happens when renewal occurs on a large scale, bringing significant advancement, growth, and kingdom fruit to a city, people, group, movement, region, or nations. Revival is renewal gone viral. Um, so really studying biblical and historical revivals and renewals, they all, they're not always the same, but at its base, it's the people of God becoming the people of God. And it's not like God's doing something weird that he's not doing in normal times, but he's just making the normal Christian discipleship practices explode in depths of feeling, emotion, reality, and fruit, really. I mean, and so therefore, the overflow is can have a renewing effect. And it, I mean, it's not primarily evangelism. doesn't start there. But, oh my goodness, it overflows into evangelism. 
Um, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's like in the first paragraph, that thing I'm talking about. And so even it helps me because, yeah, I mean, and he's just observing what tends to happen historically. And he says, yeah, that one of the first things that happens are these nominal church-going people, which the South is full of, that you all are blessed to have much relationship with, get radically born again. Exactly what our brother said. That's the first signs of renewal, which means, man, if you're, if, if you don't have a heart for consumers, repent. You know, we don't, I mean, I hate the large portion of my reality that's consumers. Be hypocritical. And so why don't we love them and thank God for them and preach for their radical conversion. skipped one part so sayers i gave you the refreshment release and advancement under renewal and then the, the b part of his renewal definition is the resumption of our god-given pur purpose to partner with god fully participating in his mission to flood the world with his presence so he talks about renewal about this refreshment release and advancement in individual groups that overflows into mission which is our purpose and then revival comes when that goes viral so anyway and what I love is, and I keep saying it, but it's true. Always the fruit is joy. Right? I mean, it was said, I don't know who it was, maybe New Beginner or somebody, that really the book of Acts, the explosion of mission was just an overflow of joy. That's why we need to rejoice our own hearts. In the presence of God and be renewed. Day by day, and let your ministry be an overflow. Anyway, Carter, what was your other question? I do. Well, I mean, in one sense, none of them have just been ongoing. My, my first thing is, have you read Loveless Dynamics? Okay. This is actually a much more updated blue cover. I just kind of like this old wonky cover anyway. So, I mean, he's got, he talks a lot about that. He's got a whole chapter in the introduction about the difference between continuous and cyclical renewal. So, he's like Judges in the Old Testament, you know, the cycles you're familiar, familiar with. Walk through the Bible, you know, the toilet bowls, you know. Anyway, um, hey, I'm old. And then, but what should we expect through the Holy Spirit and the New Covenant? More than Judges, a great discussion about that. Um, and um, he talks about, 
phrase from Ray Ortland says about this book that it helps you get your church's revival ready to see the mistakes of the past to help fan it into flame. Um, and so I've got other thoughts about that. One of which is just the simple we believe the gospel. That if we really believe in justification that it's all outside of ourselves and we it's all pure gifts and grace, we'll never try to take, <laughs> you know. So a firm belief in justification helps us from revival, Sayer's term, going sideways in a hurry. Because there's going to be spiritual attack, pride, ki personal kingdom building, fear. I mean, all, I mean, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but even in the midst of all those, there's a longing to see Jesus face to face in the King of Heaven coming planted on earth. I think it would only, in I don't think it would decrease the need, but I guess I'm disagreeing with you sometimes. Food for thought. That it would only give us a greater taste and longing for the full consummation even though we're getting a huge we've gone from appetizer to feast but we still hadn't gotten the full lasting banquet I guess so surely revival would mean yeah come back so that I'll never be tempted to sin again and I won't have the devil you know because even when revival happened either seven times the number of people are responding there's still masses who aren't in that kind of idea too I don't know talking out loud what are the questions anybody want to ask a jesus question where do we see jesus where do y'all see jesus now i see y'all the question where do you see jesus in psalm 126 not necessarily just one right answer but where do you see the gospel of jesus kingdom good man love it love it what else y'all see what's that Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I know in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. see all that yeah anybody else it's gonna make you think of jesus when you see there you go that's good yeah Past faithful acts fuel fresh faith and praying that we see modeled. Another, again, I don't know. I don't know what those who are really good at doing this would say. There's one thought I had, and mine's not better than yours. I love what y'all are saying. Um, uh, but Jesus as seed that has to die. John twelve twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus is one of you guys said first one to share. I mean, the Jesus is the ultimate expression of the kingdom where he had the, the seed that contained all of life. That in order to see any fruit, he had to die and be resurrected to fruitfulness. And so every seed of the gospel that goes out, not just a principle, I mean, it's life. And Jesus is in us and it's in the seed and it's we plant it and it has to die and we have to die to ourselves. I mean, we have to die to our own personal kingdom building. If we want to see Jesus' kingdom, it's one reason I love this. Love this. Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, Bowcher, whatever. Love it. Love it. Anyway. I will. Yeah. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be more holy in our churches and through our churches. May thy kingdom come. And thy will be done on earth, in the south, as it is in heaven. Give us eyes to see what the seraphim in Isaiah 6 see. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. The whole earth is full of your presence the whole earth is full of your weightiness oh help us to locate you and see you taste you touch you feel you in fresh ways for your name's sake for your fame for your impressiveness, show off your glory. Teach us to fast and pray. Because some advancement only comes that way.
thank you for your past faithfulness at Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. The Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Thank you for being a sin bearer. Thank you for absorbing all the wrath that I deserve. Thank you, Father, for the resurrection. Thank you for grace. And so, Father, may all of us learn to be needy in your presence so that we can hear your whisper that Paul heard in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you. Amen.